Good morning. Uh, my name is Tom Wing. I'll be reading today's passage from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. It reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Um, we have a lot of people who are sick or out of town. I'm glad that you all are here. Thank you for being here uh, this morning. I appreciate it. Uh, this is our last sermon in a series that we've been in. Our Christmas series, our Advent series, and one of the things that, that we've been doing is we've been looking at Christmas through the Old Testament tabernacle, and I was a little intimidated by it at first because, you know, the tabernacle doesn't just sound very Christmassy, but as we've been looking at it and we see that, that the Old Testament is what helps interpret the New Testament and vice versa, and that the central theme of, the whole, of all the scriptures is God coming to us to save us, redeem us, and his creation. It all has to do with Christmas. And throughout this series, I've been referring to John chapter 1 quite a bit. And for our last sermon in this series, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a look at these first 18 uh, verses in the book of, of, of John, the Gospel of John. Now, as I've been uh, considering these passages and where we've been heading with, with, this, uh, with this series, there's one thing that just kind of keeps uh, jumping into my mind and in my, my heart. Um, I've been reflecting, and one of the things that, that I have learned is that no matter how long you have been a Christian, no matter how long you will be a Christian, 
it is still critical. It is still vital. It is still important to pray, God, please be real to me. God, please be more real to me so that my love for you is, is real. Please be more real to me so that, that the, my love for you changes and your love for me changes my heart, that it changes my life, that it changes my priorities, that it changes everything about me so that I would live for your name and not my name so that I would live for your purposes and not my purpose, so that I'd live for your kingdom and not my kingdom, that I would live for your glory and not my glory. It is prayer like that that keeps us from slipping into a religious rut and going through the religious motions because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Prayer like that is what keeps us from going through the motions and what stirs up a love and a loyalty for King Jesus and his kingdom. Now, do you know how God answers prayers like that? You know how God answers prayers like that? By his word. The Holy Spirit shows you in his word who Jesus is and what he has done for you. It shows you that, that he is with you and that he loves you and that he is for you. And we need to pray that, that through his word that you see God who became a man and is still with you by his spirit. I'm telling you, it is so easy to lose sight of that. Anyone else here struggle with that besides me? No, it's just me. <laughs> I think we all do, right? We all struggle with that. And I pray that God does a work in our hearts this morning. There's a, a, a brilliant book by a brilliant guy that I refer to from time to time. It's, it's, a, it's a classic book called Knowing God. And it's brilliant because it's written by J.I. Packer. And this is a quote that, that's one of my favorites, I think. He says this, that it is no wonder that thoughtful people find the gospel of Jesus Christ hard to believe, for the realities with which it deals pass man's understanding. But it is sad that so many make faith harder than it need be by finding difficulties in the wrong places. And what are those wrong places? He goes to list them, he goes on to list them in his, in his book, and, and he says that the, the difficulties in the wrong places are things like, how can the death of Jesus have anything to do with my forgiveness? Or, I'm supposed to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, was born of a virgin, walked on water, fed 5,000 people, and then he raised the dead? He says, those are not the main difficulties when it comes to Christianity. Packer goes on to say, the real difficulty does not lie here at all. It lies not in the Good Friday message of atonement or in the Easter message of resurrection, but in the Christmas message of incarnation. It is here, in the thing that happened at that first Christmas, that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The word became flesh. God became man. The divine, the, the divine son became a Jew. The almighty was born a baby. The more you think about it, he says, the more staggering it gets. This is the real stumbling block 
in Christianity. So when we read those four words, the word became flesh, that raises a few questions, doesn't it? Well, we're going to kick around three this morning. And the first question is this. Who is the word? Well, John opens his gospel with this, with this crazy sentence. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, in light of this, it brings us face to face with a critical, all-important, age-old question. And that question is, what is the meaning of life, right? And, and that's a common question. You hear it all the time. And throughout history, people have been wrestling with that. And people have been pursuing an answer to that question, what is the meaning of life? And they've been pursuing answers in creative ways, whether it be through science or through philosophy or, or, or religion or whatever. And what John is telling us right here is that the answer that you're looking, to, looking for, when, you, when you're wrestling with this question, what is the meaning of life, what John is telling us right here is that the answer you're looking for is a person. The source of life and the meaning of life is the word, and I'll introduce him to you, is what he's saying. So who is the word? Well, first we see that the word is eternal. John starts with these three words. In the beginning. Those three words sound familiar at all to you? Right? They're the same three words that are the first three words in Scripture, which read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is deliberately making a connection here. And, and the implication of this is that before the beginning, before God created, nothing existed except for God. And then God created everything out of nothing. And John writes, in the beginning, was the Word. In eternity, before anything was created, the Word already was. It always existed. The Word is eternal. Now, now stick with me, okay? Because secondly, we see that the word is creator. Verse 3 says, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. So, where did the universe come from? The word. In Genesis 1, God is, uh, God is creating and he says, let there be eight times. When you say, let there be light, you still have to put down the remote, get up off the couch, walk across the room, and flip on the light switch, right? Or you get one of your kids to do it, because that's why we had kids in the first place, to do the stuff that we don't want to do, amen? Yes. Or maybe you might be like, yeah, well, I got Alexa, and all I have to say is Alexa, turn on the lights in the living room. It's not the same thing, Right? In Genesis, God speaks things into existence. When God says, let there be light, bam, there was light. Why? Because God's word is power. 
Because God's word is a person. John says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. He's talking about the word. And everyone who's ever lived and everyone who ever will live owes their life to the word. We all owe our lives to the word. This passage goes on to tell us that the word is light. Again, verse 4 says, In him was life, and the light was the light of men. It's not, he's not talking about just you know, physical light. The word also enlightens us. It enlightens our minds. It enlightens our hearts because light is truth. And all reason comes from the word. All reason comes from the word. It sheds light on our spirituality to dispel the darkness of sin and to dispel our unbelief. And John writes in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I mean, we see this even in the physical world, where a tiny little flame can dominate a dark room. It's the same spiritually, thank God. We need to know that today. We need to be encouraged. We don't just have a little light. We have the light of the world. Finally, the word that John's talking about, the word is God. And so now we're neck deep in theology. Look at verse 1 again. The word was with God and the word was God. And verse 14, which we read so many times, says, and the word became flesh. The word became flesh. That, that statement right there is the most mind-bending statement of all time. That statement right there, the word became flesh, that is the high point of all scripture. That is the high point of all history. It is the high point of all of creation. God became a man. I mean, how do you wrap your brain around that? That's why Packer says the gospel confronts us with this as the, as the supreme mystery. The word became flesh. So, let's go ahead and pretend we all understand that. Okay? Now the question is, Why? Why did the word become flesh? And here's what I want for us to do. Maybe you've been part of a church for a long time, and you've heard that phrase over and over and over again, the word became flesh, and you've heard it so many times, you're so familiar with it, you don't even think about it anymore. You don't even ponder it, in, it anymore. It just goes in one ear and out the other. I, I want us to ponder that and be moved by that. Wrestle with any confusion that, that gets stirred up. And then we'll end up knowing God better. And then you having a stronger faith and then a, a stronger love and loyalty for King Jesus and, and his kingdom. So I'm hoping that, that that's what's happening in our hearts this morning. And so that's why we ask the next question, why did the word become flesh? Verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace 
and truth. Now, I've quoted this verse as we've been going through this tabernacle series. He dwelt among us can be interpreted as he tabernacled among us, which means that, that, that he, he, he set up his tent to live with us. He moved into the neighborhood. He pursued us. This tent refers to the tabernacle, as I said, and in the Old Testament, when the tabernacle was set up in the wilderness, the Shekinah glory filled the tent as a visible representation of God dwelling with his people. But now we learn that the true tabernacle, where God meets with his people, is in Jesus himself. God is with you. He's not some far-off divine being disconnected from your life, disconnected from your heart, disconnected from your temptations, disconnected from your struggles. He is with you. The God who created the heavens and the earth and deliberately chose to create you is with you. So you can know him. And you can experience the reality of God in your heart and life right now because he is with you. Now, why did God come to us? Excuse me. Why did Jesus come to us? First, to make God known. Verse 8. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, Jesus is called the Word because he reveals God to us. In John 14, listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So what this means right here is that the life of Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. The life of Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. If you lived in Jesus' day and you wanted to see what God was like, you'd watch Jesus. But what do we do here and now in 2019 and in the coming year, 2020? How in the world are we going to see what God is like? Well, you see him through the eyes of those who saw Jesus in person and wrote about it. See, in the Gospels, you see the creator and his power as he calms the storm and he walks on the sea. You see the light of the world as he heals the blind and he casts out the powers of darkness. You see the source of all life as he stands at the tomb of Lazarus who is dead for four days and commands him to come out and he does. That's how we see God. It's through his word. The word became flesh to make God known, but also the word became flesh to bless God's people. Verse 16, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. 
Jesus came to us to bring you grace. He came to us to bring you grace. And we see it in his, his selfless life as he loved and served people. And we see the fullest revelation of God's grace at the cross. When we look at the cross, we can be reminded that this is grace upon grace, wave after wave, no shortage of his grace. No, I mean, no, no rationing of his grace. It is just a flood of grace represented by the cross. It's on the cross that the, <laughs> this is crazy. It's on the cross that the creator was crucified by his creation. The God of life died. The light was snuffed out by the darkness. The one who was with God in the beginning cried out to the Father and there was silence. The one who breathed life into each of our lives. The one who sustains the life every single second of every single day by his own authority loosens his grip and he dies on the cross. For you, he did that for you and for me. You know, as painful and as much suffering that was endured when being crucified, um, for Jesus, it was more than just the pain. It was the shame of the cross. Hebrews 12 says, Jesus, God the Son, who is perfect, and all holy, and involved in creation, who's being crucified by his creation, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. This kind of death was reserved for the worst of all criminals. In fact, when you saw somebody crucified, you would come to assumptions about who is on that cross and what kind of people they are. That was part of the culture. People consider, consider, you know, scum of the earth. It was so shameful that it was illegal for, for Romans to crucify their own citizens. And God chose to endure that at the hands of the people that he created. And this brings us to the so what question. Right? question is, how will we respond? It is this question we can't get around. There's no getting around this question. In light of the truth of who Jesus is, in light of the truth of what he's done, in light of the grace that he has shown all of us, in light of his glory and his kingdom, we come face to face with this question, and there's only one of two responses. This passage shows us uh, the first one. It says, some did not receive him. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet this world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. John says that from the beginning, God has been planning and, and creating life 
for all of us, life the way that it was meant to be, in close, intimate, personal relationship and experience of, of our triune God. His creation was perfect and revealed who he is, but the people he creates and loves says to him, their creator, who are you? We don't know you. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. You know, here's, here's what's important to understand here. Let me just kind of meddle a little bit, okay? Both non-religious people and religious people reject Jesus because of self-righteousness. Now, if you're a Christian and you say, I don't reject you, I accepted him. What are you talking about? Every sin that we commit is, is a rejection of Jesus and trusting him and his authority. We might not even be conscious about it. We could do it subconsciously. And we, the self-righteousness part comes into play because we will decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. Both non-religious people and religious people reject Jesus because of self-righteousness. And the reason I can point this out is because I know it in my own heart. We all easily lose sight of our need for him. And we can consciously or subconsciously think, you know, that we're good enough all on our own. Thank you very much. But God. But by God's grace alone, some did and do receive him. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, for those who are not Christians, but, but you're, you're investigating Christianity and wrestling with it, uh, maybe you've come to see that, that you can't save uh, yourself. That it is, that, that's half the battle right, right there. We can't be good enough. And if you come to that realization, that's half the battle. Maybe you feel lost and now you're desperate uh, for, for grace. That is a loving self, uh, uh, that is a gracious self-awareness given to you by, by God so that you don't continue to wander, you know, in the dark. The question is, if, if God has opened your eyes this morning, will you receive him? Will you give your life to him and your heart to him and your soul to him? Will you trust him as, as your deliverer, the, the one that, that took our punishment on the cross so that we would never be punished? Will you trust him today? Will you follow him? Will you finally start your relationship with him? He's been calling you to himself your whole life, and today you're hearing it through me. I, I, I mean, I, you need to know that, that, I mean, I grew up in a pastor's home, a Christian home, and, and for most of, you know, for most of my life, I, I didn't see my need for, for the cross. God had to show me. I didn't become a Christian because I was wiser than anybody else. I, was, I didn't become a Christian because I was smarter than anybody else. I didn't become a Christian because I was better than anybody else. God, by his grace, had to open my eyes and open my heart. Uh, he had to show me that I, was, that I was so sinful that it took nothing less than the death of God the Son to save me. 
and then he was glad to do it. See, if we, if we get that, if we get that, it changes your heart. It changes the way that you live. And the world becomes a more loving and gracious and beautiful person because you are becoming more like Jesus. The kingdom of God advances because some did receive him and still do. And if you do receive him, pray that he becomes more real to you. And keep praying that for as long as you live. And prayers like that happen best in community. Community that is centered on Christ and his word. As as we pray and worship and meditate on his word together. Now let me give you just one practical tool. I mean, there's just a billion I can choose from. But, but this one has, I think, been significant. I've recommended it to you before. I want to recommend it again today. Something tangible, something that you can put into uh, use like right, right away. Take, a, take a, a note of this website. Uh, the website is thecbrjournal.com. Thecbrjournal.com. Now, it's not just another reading plan. It... it It guides you through the scriptures, but it helps you realize that that you're listening to God speak to you through his word. Do you you ever wish, you know, man, are you ever saying, I wish God would just write me a letter so that he could be more real to me. Well, let me tell you something. He did. It's called the Bible. I mean, we have access to his word. And we're called, lovingly called to read it so we can experience God. It's the best thing for us. And a tool like this helps you see that. It helps you experience the presence of Jesus, God the Son, in a life-changing way through the Word who became flesh. You know, if you can't afford the eight bucks and change or whatever, let me know and I'll hook you up. I'll close with this. I happen to agree with G.I. Packer. The difficulty with which the gospel confronts us is found in those four words. The word became flesh. That is the major and main difficulty. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And the more you think about it, he says, the more staggering it gets. This is the real stumbling block in Christianity. And then he goes on to say this. But once the incarnation, God becoming a man, once the incarnation is grasped as reality, all of the other difficulties dissolve. I love that. Once the incarnation is grasped as reality, all of the other difficulties you could possibly think of and that frustrate you once you come to grips with the incarnation, the Christmas story, the word became flesh, all of those other difficulties dissolve. Because here's the deal. If Jesus is the eternal word, if Jesus is the creator of all things, then of course his life would be filled with miracles, right? If he is the source of all life, then of course he rises from the dead. And if he is the source of unconditional love, of course he's going to share that life and love with us and then call us to share that life and love with others as well. Once we grasp that Jesus is God in the flesh, it is unreasonable. It becomes 
unreasonable for us to reject any of this. You you realize that it all hangs and, and fits together. It is a profound mystery, no doubt about it. But this mystery, once grasped, once it's spiritually discerned by the the Holy Spirit, this right here is what makes sense of everything else. This is where you start. I don't know what objections that you might have, what you're wrestling with. You know what? Put them on the back burner for a minute and wrestle with this. So how will you respond? Will you receive him or receive him not? I plead with you to receive him. I plead with you to trust him. I plead with you to know him and to know his, his truth, his love, and his grace. And I plead with you to share that same truth and love and grace with as many people as you possibly can. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?